Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and it is Friday, which means it is the weekend. And praise God for that. Me... Uh, I am traveling right now as you're listening to this, if you listen to it on Friday and I am on my way down to Alabama to spend the weekend with my folks. And then I'll be back in Iowa on Tuesday. So I am taking a few days off and taking the family down to visit my family and just kind of chilling for a weekend. So hope you guys are having a wonderful week and we will, uh, hopefully have a good episode for you today. It's the intentions every time we jump on the mic and record what we are going to record. So uh, we are continuing our journey through the gospel of Matthew. We are in the 14th chapter and we're going to look at verses 13 through 21 today. And this is one of the most famous stories uh, in probably all of scripture and maybe even um, from even the secular perspectives, people talk about this um, because they, you know, want to shine their doubts on it. So it's a very uh, significant event, and it's a very miraculous event, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. So that is going to be our topic today. Uh, I don't really have any other shopkeeping uh, items on the agenda. Most of it, uh, as you know, I've been kind of slowly... Um, kind of moving away from the patron side of things just simply because um, I have so much on my plate right now. Um, making some prog- progress with the book. So if you are following along and you haven't seen any of the updates on social media, uh, I am very close, I think, to probably the 80 to 90% mark completion. So I'm um, kind of zeroing in on the last few items to work through and I will call it done. Uh, I'll have the rough draft, and then I will compile it into an ebook uh, once it's all fully edited. I am talking to a publisher right now 
Um, they are a local publisher here in Iowa, so I hope and pray that we could uh, work a deal out and see about getting some paperback copies and put into some bookstores and such like that. So uh, those are some exciting things coming your way. I don't have any ETAs on when the book will be done. My goal is by the end of fall, so probably sometime around October, November. Um, and that includes uh, all heavy edits and revisions. So because I still have to go back and edit and revise um, uh, a handful of the chapters just to ensure grammar and structuring and arguments and all of that are all um, well established and make sense. And the text is really, you know, proficient there for you. Uh, the book is not going to be an academically challenging book. I'm going to tell you that right up front. This is not a book that uh, seminary students are going to pick up and learn something from. This book is not going to be for the you know the academical white tower debates. This book is simply driven and written for the layperson, the everyday churchgoer, from the very newest believer in Christ to even seasoned believers in Christ. The scope of the book is to help you understand the culture in, uh, that we live in inside of the church and to see the different types of sermons preached, understand how those preaching of sermons have an impact on you, and especially when you read your Bible. And then we're going to look at some reading plans and the different constructs and why some are, might be better than others. And then we move into a distinction of law, gospel, and then we talk about how to read passages in this ice, you know, within that lens. And I, I'm providing four examples from the Old Testament, which I will not disclose here on the show. Uh, and I'm providing four to six examples of the New Testament, which again, I'm not going to disclose yet for you. Those will be kind of a surprise. They're really interesting passages. Um, and uh, I think two or three of them in the Old Testament, you'll probably never guess just by sheer obscurity. Um, but it uh, they they really are unique, and I think they help to draw the reader in and focus on the construct of law gospel being demonstrated in scripture. And uh, and so I write that, and I'm going to be done once I complete those last uh, few examples, and then um, my wife and I will sit down and we'll heavily edit uh, the manuscript, and then we'll see about if this particular publisher I'm talking to works out. So that's, that's the biggest news, um, you know, up on the front for me, that's my biggest project I'm working on. I am got some ideas for some children's books after I complete this one. Uh, I am working on a fantasy novel. Actually, it's a, a, a set. I, I haven't decided if it's going to be two, three, four books. Um, I can really write in a, a whole lot in this whole universe. Um, so I really am excited for the construct of that, but that's, you know, a side project and really something more out of my nerdiness than um, my passion of theology. So let's get into the topic at hand, and we're going to look at the gospel of Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Here is what is written. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself, but the crowds heard it. And they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages and buy 
and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to him, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. He said to them, we only have four loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and gave it to his disciples and the disciples gave it to the crowds and all ate and they were satisfied and they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So pretty significant passage. Uh, It's one of the, um, it's one of the few that are recorded in all four Gospels. And, and why I say it's a, such a significant event is because from the Christian perspective, it's such a miraculous movement of compassion. Not only is Jesus healing the sick, but then he proceeds to feed the hungry here. And many skeptics outside of the Christian faith or um, even within maybe the Jewish faith, I, I'm not quite certain on that aspect, but I know outside of the Christian faith entirely, you know, your atheists and agnostics and all them, uh, they will harp on this particular passage and really just say it's it's just physically impossible. And again, they're, you know, the it's any miracle that Jesus performs, they're going to harp on because they, they don't think that Jesus has the power to do this, that, and the other, to walk on water, to change uh, water into wine and all of these things. And so... They are going to find everything to pick at and, you know, and try to uh, draw down the system, if you would, upon, you know, quote unquote, man's logic. And but from the Christian perspective, again, this is probably one of the most popular passages. Uh, It really, to me, shows such a significant amount of compassion and mercy uh, from Christ. And And it's such a miraculous event as well. And I said that a few times, but I just, I'm really, you know, I, I'm, I'm captivated by it. I, I just wrote a sermon on it a few weeks ago. And I, I think this is just such a passage and really what we'll have here in the next couple of months on the show as we kind of work through the latter part of Matthew is we are seeing a lot of these really impactful sermons and messages and passages that we will encounter. In fact, um, once we wrap this passage up today, we'll be halfway, essentially halfway through Matthew 14. uh, And then we've got 15 and then we get to 16, the famous Peter uh, proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. We just talked about that one uh, in church on Sunday. And then this coming Sunday, which I'm not preaching, will be the passage of Peter stumbling and Jesus telling Satan to get behind him. Uh, and then we, I will pick back up, I think it's the latter part of chapter 16 for the following week. I have not exactly looked into it too deep yet. But so I'm, I'm cruising a few chapters ahead of where I'm at on this show. So it's kind of neat to come back and uh, do the show after I've already written a sermon for it. But you guys are actually getting something different than what I write in my sermon because I don't bring up my sermon notes and talk through it. I... Really, everything that I'm reading now is almost a, a fresh take at the story that I'm working through. So um, that's kind of a cool and unique aspect, too. So if you listen to the sermon and you listen to this, you'll probably hear some similarities and you'll hear some th- same things that I kind of chart on as, as we go through these passages. 
Uh, and I'll even make a note like, oh, you know, I preached this and I said this in the sermon. Um, but you'll find out that there are, you know, different presentations, different manners of handling the text from a podcast, which is kind of more of a teaching perspective than me in a pulpit preaching. Uh, the per the purpose of me being in the pulpit to preach a passage, let's say that at twenty times fast, uh, in this fashion, in this order, is to draw the the listener's ear to what is being done in the passage, the law and the gospel. Uh, and so, how do you how do you draw that into you know a passage like this? And so, um, before we really start breaking down everything, my focus of the passion would be kind of the um, the laziness and the the discontentness of the disciples. They want to shoo these people away, send them off, send them out of here. We're, we don't let you know, but and they make it seem like it's uh, their compassion, right? Oh, let them go into the town and buy food for themselves. Send them away. We're in a desolate area. We're done with them. And, and if you kind of read through. Uh, Matthew, you'll see the disciples kind of whining like this, if you would. Um, we'll see this uh, with Jesus and the uh, Canaanite woman. Uh, they will try to sh- send her away because they just don't want to deal with her whining and her nagging and her begging and her crying. And so the disciples uh, find themselves a-, a few times in that instance, like, send these crowds away. We're done with this. And and I and if I was to harp on the law for a passage like this, that would probably be one of my my first focuses, is the discontent discontentness that the disciples have, the um, lack of attention to everything going around, um, and maybe even some of the disbelief here because it kind of seems, you know, like they don't trust that Jesus can truly authentically provide for all of their needs. Right? If we go all the way back to Matthew six. We have the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus tells uh, the disciples in the crowd there to pray in this fashion, and one of those lines is, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, that is a connecting point back to Moses in the book of Exodus as they are traveling around in the wilderness, and God lets manna rain down from heaven. That's the daily bread, the nourishment that God provides. And so the disciples pick up on these cues, but then they quickly forget about them. And especially here in this text, they they pick up on it, but then they've forgotten about it by now. And they are sending the crowds away. Get rid of them. We're, we, you know, they, we, we can't feed them. We can't please them anymore. You've healed all the sick. You've said your message. You know, we need to rest. We're tired. And now that might be reading into the passage a little bit, but it doesn't take too far if we kind of see the overall personality of the disciples and how they treat uh, certain situations. And so I I don't think it's too far fetched for us to kind of focus on that aspect. So, uh, you know, if I was going to draw in on the law, I would really uh, zero in on, on the mood and kind of personality of the disciples here and drive that into a modern day context of, you know, how many times do we get find ourselves into a situation where we have the ability to help somebody and we choose to send them on, send them away, shoo them away from us because we just don't want to, we're not in the mood for it. We don't want to, you know, exert ourselves or challenge ourselves or give up something, whether it's money, time, food, whatever it may be. 
and so I would, you know, drive my focus on those aspects. And then obviously the uh, gospel is the saving grace of Christ, that he is the one who nourishes us. He is the one who provides for us. Uh, another aspect of the law that I'd say is really just kind of the doubt here in the, in the connecting pieces from Exodus to Matthew 6 to this and the, you know, the doubting or doubtfulness of the disciples that Jesus will provide. And that's a very common trait in Christianity today. We get ourselves so wrapped up in the world that we miss out on what God is doing for us in our lives. And let me be very clear, this is not a prosperity point where God is going to provide for us our wildest dreams. In fact, I just saw a video, um, the guy who runs the page, The Holy Nope, uh, fantastic page on Instagram. He does all these little videos, but he put one out today, uh, and this preacher was prophesying that the congregation that was listening to this was going to have financial breakthroughs and they were going to have spiritual breakthroughs. I mean, it was every breakthrough in the book. And I just, I, you know, I hear a lot of that from these Pentecostal and charismatic movements, and it's like, uh, don't we get tired of hearing that stuff? Don't we get tired of hearing, well, I'm going to get in a breakthrough this year. I'm, I'm going to have something crazy significant happen. Now, whether I do or not is, is not a big deal. Whether I get a book deal or I don't, I, it doesn't phase me. You know, if, if they want me to, to, to move in and write full time, then, hey, praise God, and I will gladly take hold of that. But I'm not going to sit here and beg or try to, quote unquote, manifest it. So when we get to a passage like this, it is helpful for us to really see the overall graciousness of God, but understand its context, that this isn't going to be a God delivering all of the things that we desire with our hearts. God says he will provide us our daily bread. And if you have a Lutheran small catechism, you can look at what Luther writes in that in regards to uh, the the daily bread and what those things are. And that includes, you know, husbands and wives and children and spou- uh, house and clothes and food and, and uh, animals and work and all of these things. God provides all that. It may not seem like it and it may be a struggle at times, but those are things that God provides. So helpful for us to, again, narrow down the context. So we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, again, probably one of the more significant events that takes place. And the way Matthew records it is uh, when Jesus heard this, uh, G- Matthew here is noting Jesus's personal response to the news of John's execution, right? Re- remember, we had the death of John the Baptist last week, and in the very last verse, verse 12, and his disciples came and took the body away and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. So he now is receding and he's withdrawing to a desolate place, uh, probably somewhere across the Sea of Galilee to an isolated place on the northeast shore near Bethsaida. And the crowds continue to follow him. And the, the, the suggestion that the disciples give to send the crowds away, again, makes sense from a human, from a human point of view. It makes total sense, uh, and, and it fits right within our kind of confined, finite thinking that we have all of these people, and we don't have any food to feed them, and there's villages over there that they all came from. Let them go home and feed themselves. It makes perfect, logical sense. And 
instead of Jesus sending these folks away unexpectedly and even forcefully, Jesus challenges the disciples to provide food for the vast crowd. He planned to teach them a very important lesson here. So the five loaves and two fish, staple foods in Galilee, Galilee, uh, especially among the poor, um, but and it but but these five fish and two or these two fish and five loaves were was barely enough to feed the twelve disciples and Jesus. So it's 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 a staple food, but there's just not enough even to feed Jesus and his immediate you know disciples, and and surely not enough to feed the crowd, which we know at the very end of the passage is at least five thousand men, not including women and children. And and I said this in the sermon. See, here we go. It, the interesting piece is not just the five thousand that are fed, but that is reserved simply to men in the count. But we could also attribute that um, these men brought spouses. Women perhaps came on their own. They brought their children. Children perhaps came on their own. Um, you know, children that are a little younger, a little bit older. I mean, uh, teenagers and and such that are not so young. Uh, and we would estimate there could have been north of 10 or 15 or even 20,000 people in this crowd. And that's a, that's a massive, massive group of people. Even just 5,000 is, is an astonishing number. And to think that Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds all of them so they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus probably spoke a traditional Jewish blessing, such as, Blessed are you, O God, uh, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You bring forth bread from earth. And again, a little bit of a foreshadowing to the Last Supper where Jesus will bless the bread. Uh, he gives a blessing you know, before he distributes it, and the institution of the Lord's Supper is uh, inaugurated in this point. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing. It's not real deep, and so I don't want to press that too hard. But you know, the, the connection of Jesus holding the bread up here and blessing it before distributing it, and the distribution here continues to multiply itself because it's feeding the crowd. Whereas uh, with you know the Lord's Supper, Jesus breaks it and gives the bread to the twelve disciples who are around him, well, eleven because Judas is gone, but gives it to his disciples and then that becomes his body as he says, this is my body given for you. Again, don't read too deep into the feeding of the 5,000 and trying to connect it to um, the Lord's Supper. It's simply the blessing that are the the pieces that are connected here and really nothing else is. Uh, so these crowds are satisfied. They have enough to eat. None go home hungry. So imagine, you know, going to a restaurant and ordering a big plate of food and it's amazing and you're full and you're stuffed to the brim or going to an all-you-can-eat buffet and you just eat your fill. That is what is being said here. Now, I should say too, this culture is very, very much different than here in the West. This culture understands portions and rations and, and understands right sizes Whereas here in the West, we like everything to be magnified, big, extravagant, over the edge. And it's not hard for us to think at an all-you-could-eat buffet of just eating six or eight or ten platefuls of food or going to a restaurant ordering the biggest steak and sides and having soda and beer or whatever it is to drink. These people probably had 
you know, maybe a piece of bread or a couple pieces of bread and a fish to share uh, amongst them and their maybe immediate family. And so they probably had a fish or two that they could share and they ate. But the, the, the really beautiful part is that they ate and were full. They, they didn't go home hungry. They ate until they were content. And I think sometimes, again, that's another notion here in the West that can be hard for us to grasp is, you know, eating to contentness, not to indulge in gluttony and overeat. And which is why, you know, here in the West, we have a pandemic of obesity and we eat our, our just a ridiculous amount of food. Um, you know, case in point, if you go to like a five guys restaurant, uh, whether you like them or hate them, that's not the point. But if you go there and you order burger and fries, it's like $400. And the fries are like a bag full of fries. So like they put the burger in the bottom and then they put the cup of fries in with fries in it. And then they take like three more scoops of fries and just smash them into your bag. It's like you're eating probably 2,000 calories in just the burger and fries alone. It's amazing how quickly it adds up. But these people are not in, in gorging or indulging in gluttony in this aspect. They're just simply eating to their fill. And I, and I think it's helpful for us to, to kind of really understand that, that Jesus is providing the abundant amount of food, and, uh, and he impresses this upon the disciples to hand these baskets out. And as they re, re, retrieve them, there were even some leftovers, which, again, is just a miraculous event that Jesus took these five loaves and two fish and sent them out into the crowds with the disciples to distribute, and they come back with still leftovers. So the miracle is obviously important because all four of the evangelists have recorded it. The account here, though, makes no mention of the crowd's reaction. They seem not to realize that a miracle has even taken place, but the disciples know. Each has a basket of leftovers to testify to what Jesus has done. This, they will be also privileged to feed the nations spiritually with the bread of life, a resource that will satisfy and never be exhausted. Whenever you have doubts of God's power to supply your needs, whether physical or spiritual, recall upon this miracle. Jesus is able to provide. And I think that's a very, very important piece for us to really kind of focus on in the close of the show, that we serve a God that provides. And in my book... I highlight those aspects a few times throughout the book that we serve a God that provides. And I've done that in my Bible teachings and all the sorts. God is one that does not shy away from helping support or helping to give his people what they need, whether it's in uh, the desert with the Israelites and the bread, whether it's here, Jesus healing the sick, and feeding the 5,000, whether it's today by healing illnesses or curing a cancer or allowing somebody to pass peacefully into the next world and not have to suffer through a terrible illness. Sometimes we don't think that's a miracle. Sometimes we, we, we think death is, is, the, is the, the, the worst thing to, to come. And yes, death is the penalty of sin, but Sometimes death can be the freedom for the, for the Christian, the believer, free from this body of sin, free from the chains of sin, free from sin, death, and the devil. We now are walking into eternal life with Jesus Christ. And so sometimes death is a gift. And I don't think we, 
want to say that too often as pastors. But sometimes death can be a release, especially, you know, um, I had a a young lady, an older lady. She was in her late 90s, um, passed away earlier this year. I did the funeral for her. Uh, And the, the really sad thing about it is I've been here in Stratford for almost three years. So December will mark three years for me. I've been here almost three years. And I have talked to her countless times. I met with her. Uh, on a semi-regular basis, I would go and visit her. And every time I went to visit, I had to reintroduce myself because she had Alzheimer's. She never remembered me. I came into the scene long after she was able to remember anything. She could tell me everything there was to know about Pastor Joe, who was here before me. She could tell me everything about her childhood, her young life, her adult life, her children, and she could even talk to me about her grandchildren. And, but she couldn't remember from about, uh, I want to say, five to seven years ago, give or take, uh, to this point today. She, it's just real fuzzy and unable to, to recall. And she would tell me the same stories every time I reintroduced myself to her. And it breaks my heart when I, um, when I was there because it, was so gut-wrenching to see somebody just not have that spark of life in them. It's just that she just doesn't remember. And I have to say the last time I got to visit with her was maybe a couple of weeks before she passed. She had um, she was put into hospice, and so I went to see her. And in that time, I got to bring her the Lord's Supper one last time. And to be able to distribute the bread and wine, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ to her, even though she doesn't remember, she she knew about that, and she clung to that promise. And that is a beautiful thing. So why do we strip down the sacraments? Why do we, why do we put this stuff down when people who absolutely know about it need it, and we, we disregard it? that it's not vital, it's not important. When Scripture makes it obvious that it is important, it just breaks my heart that there are people out there that just would disregard the sacraments and so easily discard them. But this lady clung to that promise that Christ forgives her of her sin. And death becomes a release from that Alzheimer's. Death becomes a release into the spiritual life with Christ that she can now enjoy eternal bliss. So... That's the, the, the show. <laughs> a little bit of a depressing mark on the end, but you know, it really draws this, this point of the, the miracles and the mercy that God takes uh, into consideration for us, the, the love and joy that he has for us. It's not all about the glitz and glamour in this life. It's, sometimes it's the hard, dirty things that happen. And I'm so blessed and so thrilled to be a part of the ministry that I get to experience life with people. So that's going to wrap the show this week, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I'm traveling, so please, if you do hear this, pray for me for safe travel to my folks and a good time there with them and the safe travel home with the kids and the wife in tow. And uh, we'll be back next Friday. As we look at Jesus walking on the water, we may actually just go ahead and finish up chapter 14 next week because there's only a couple verses after that. Jesus heals uh, the sick uh, in uh, Genesaret. So, Genesaret. 
And so we will finish those last few verses and talk about uh, walking on the water. So thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great week. God bless. Get your butt to church on Sunday and partake in the sacraments. We'll see you all later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.